Guy here with a quick message before the latest pod here on Blood Red. 2020's been pretty rubbish, but here on Blood Red, we wanted to say thank you to all of our continued and loyal listeners. Part of that has been the creation of our Blood Red census, which you can find in the description of this podcast. All we want to know is what you think of our content and also give you the chance to shape how much and what you get to listen to in future. If you can check it out and fill it in, it won't take longer than two minutes to do. You can even manage it between your Christmas dinner and your pudding. It's in the description, as I say, and that's all. Enjoy the pod. Thanks for your support this year. We're all in it with each other and hope you have a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. It's a Blood Red podcast courtesy of the Liverpool Echo. I'm Guy Clark. Two points dropped to Big Sam's baggies and another injury setback for Joel Matip. Season's greetings, Reds. Well, we're here to discuss the fallout from the draw with West Brom. Look at what options Liverpool have in the January transfer window and look ahead also to the visit to Newcastle United. Alongside to do that, we have our chief Liverpool writer, Ian Doyle, Sean Bradbury and Matt Addison. Doyle, I'll come to you first, certainly in the festive spirit for those joining us on YouTube. I'll explain the scene for our listeners. Doyle's got his Christmas tree flashing away in the background, but there wasn't much Christmas cheer at Anfield, was there, against West Brom? Yeah, can I just say one of my Christmas trees? There is oh. another one here next to me, but I'm not going to show you that. Um, yeah, the game itself, West Bromwich Albion, wasn't particularly great, was it? I mean, I know that some supporters, they've kind of, you know, been... I think they were taken aback at the Liverpool's performance, but anybody who's actually watched football over the last four or five years cannot have been surprised. I mean, I'm not, you know, I don't want to go around saying, oh, I told you so, but... On our live blog before the game, I was uh, suggesting the game would go exactly the way that the game went. I mean, West Brom, they, what were they expected to do? Just come and like try and attack Liverpool? That was never going to happen. And the thing is, even before Sam Allardyce was in charge of them, look at the results this season when they played the big teams. Drew at Man City, you know, three all against Chelsea, but at least he went 3-0 up. And then they only lost by one goal against Tottenham and against um, against Manchester United. So there was no surprise there. The Liverpool team that started the game against West Brom was exactly the same team that started against Fulham and struggled in the first half there. Obviously, this time it was the second half. And I think what you saw was Liverpool, you know, there are two shortcomings in this Liverpool team at the moment. One, as we'll get on to, is the lack of centre-back options, which, as I say, Joe Matip's injury has underlined them again. But the other one is the fact that most of their attacking midfielders, creative midfielders, have been injured. And... That's probably why you. it was a game where you missed someone like, you know, it's for this game that Thiago was signed, isn't it? Exactly this type of game. And you look at last season, these were the games that Liverpool were winning by one goal. You know, we look at them. That's how Liverpool have played, what was it? The Drew with Fulham, Drew with Brighton, Drew with West Brom. They're three teams down the bottom. I think four of the three of the bottom five, isn't it? Or possibly the bottom four. And on not, no occasion can you say that Liverpool deserved anything more than the points. In fact, certainly at Fulham, you could argue that they got away with uh, just getting the one point they should have lost. So, you know, I know it was last week that Liverpool beat Crystal Palace 7-0, but we saw against Aston Villa that Palace aren't in a particularly good run of form. And, you, you know, you still need to score the goals. But interestingly, I think Liverpool have had, is it something like eight, nine shots on target in the last two games and they've scored eight goals. And you can't keep that up. They only had the two shots. I think it's 10, actually. So they only had the two shots on target against... West Brom scored the one goal, one good save at the end for the West Brom keeper. So I don't think they can complain about the results. And as I say, nobody should have been surprised by the way the game went. 
Yeah, no, exactly that that I was going to come to you with, Sean. Two shots on target. West Brom had three shots on target. It was only the, the goal and the Firmino header right at the end. I suppose it is one of those, like Doyle sort of suggests, even with uh, sort of Fulham, the Brighton game, obviously there was a bit of VAR talk after that one. But Liverpool have no one but themselves to blame for this one. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I mean, it's it's not a nice feeling to get well and truly allardyced, is it? And to be honest, I'd almost forgotten what it felt like. You know, he's been out the game for a little while, hasn't he? And um, yeah, I, he had every right to be as smug and as satisfied as he was after the game, to be honest. But yeah, I think there was three things really that struck me about the game. First of all, you know, like Doyle said, there was no surprise that he was going to come and do this. And I, I was a little bit surprised to hear what Klopp was saying afterwards. Obviously, I think he was mainly talking through frustration, but what he was saying about Allardyce playing is, 6-4-0 formation and that, you know, I haven't encountered this many times before for managers. Well, that's fine. That's fair enough and, and, it, and it's right. You know, not a lot of managers do do that, especially nowadays, but you know that this fella's going to do that. That's that's kind of his, his MO, isn't it? That's what he's brought into teams to do. This ultra low block and a big question that's asked of the other team. It's, it's you know, he puts it onto the other team really, doesn't he? And just makes them concentrate in defence and, and try and break his own team down. But yeah, I thought like Robertson, he summed it up after the game when he just said, you know what, you're going to come up against an outlier's team. Uh, they want to stay in it as long as they can and, and take the one chance. And, and as Robbo said, they did that, you know, uh, fair play to him. But I think looking at the way Liverpool approached it, it struck me that maybe they've forgotten a little bit of how you do do, do this against teams. Because when you look at the league nowadays and how it's made up of and the sides that are in it, not many teams really approach games like that, do they? Even the more stubborn and obdurate teams, maybe, you know, you look at a team like Burnley, perhaps Newcastle as well. Uh, you're going to get a 4-4-2 from them, but you're not going to get something as defensive as what Allardyce puts out there. And a lot of the other sides who are down the bottom of the table or ones who've come up recently, like Leeds, you know, Brighton, Fulham, they, they all have a go, don't they? Or much more relatively than an Allardyce team would. So, Perhaps there's that little bit of Liverpool just being a bit rusty of how you actually approach a team like this, given that most of the sides that they play are a little bit more adventurous, at least. But then I think the main point really is, is what Doyle said. It's, it was the lack of creative options, all, all the plan B players. And in some cases, the, the plan A players, you know, Thiago was, is the main one, isn't he? I think, I think with Thiago, he'd have really helped with that probe and passing. Some of what we saw in those flashes against Chelsea and, and especially against Everton. That would have been there. But I think as well, when when the going gets tough and Liverpool did start to get a bit slack in the second half, to use the words that uh, Robertson said, I think just having someone like Thiago would have really got his foot on the ball and maybe just tried to calm them down a little bit and limited the extent of their ambitions, really, and just said, look, we're, we're winning. Let, let's not let West Brom get back into this. I think he would have been massive, really. But, yeah, <laughs> Big Sam does it again. Um, and I, I do think, you know, it's, it's, it's not the type of football that I would like to watch. I wouldn't like to be a, a fan of a team who, who he comes in and, and does his job for. But you can absolutely see why teams resort to him. I mean, I think it's the difficulty with Allardyce is almost a season or two after, isn't it? You know, he, he keeps you up and then what you do then? How do you, how do you clear up the mess that follows? But yeah, cannot complain. Um, and I think, yeah, Allardyce did a job and Liverpool have just got a lot to think about really after that. Yeah, certainly. Matt, looking at sort of the, the run of form Liverpool are in, obviously there were those brilliant results against Crystal Palace and Tottenham Hotspur as well, but 13 points dropped now after just 15 games so far this season, six points dropped in the last six games as well. Regardless of if it's a, a crazy season, there's no fans in the grounds. It's what Liverpool need to hold in their own destiny, where this title is going to go. And I suppose that run of form right now isn't isn't quite good enough. 
Well, no, it, it's not quite good enough, of course. We know that. But Liverpool are still right up there and we, we shouldn't forget that. They are still leading the way. They are still you know, the, the best team in the country. And I think we will see that you know, plenty of times in, in the second half of this season. But yeah, it was a frustration. I think that the big frustration for me was that they let the game drift in that second half. There's a, a fine line, isn't there, between just letting a game drift and, and controlling it and, and keeping it at 1-0. And all Liverpool had to do really was keep doing what they did for the first 20 minutes, which I thought... You know, considering they had all of the players behind the ball, West Brom, they weren't particularly organised. There was, for example, the, the Sadio Mane goal comes from one or two of them stepping out of that defensive block and not quite being in the right position. We saw plenty of times Robertson got into good areas, put the ball into the right sort of spaces, but they just couldn't quite find you know, that final touch. And yeah, Liverpool just let the game drift in the second half and, and ultimately got punished for, for exactly that. And Obviously, we know Thiago Alcantara could have helped Liverpool in that regard, but you look at some of the players who were in there, Jordan Henderson should have been a lot better at, at doing that sort of thing. It wasn't his best performance. We didn't see a huge amount from Curtis Jones and, and Jeannie Wijnaldum in comparison to what they've done. So it was it was a, a collective thing rather than individuals. But yeah, the, the whole team really just didn't quite didn't quite fit together as, as well as what it can do. And we've seen it against Fulham. We've seen it in other matches as well. But I think yesterday was certainly the worst in that regard. But just letting... Allardyce do exactly what he wanted really as long as it was 1-0 they knew that they had a chance they did have I think Carl and Grant wasn't it who went through and, and gave Liverpool a scare that should have been the moment where they thought actually we just need to step this up a gear make sure we get over the line and unfortunately that's not something that they managed to do I mean I suppose it's easy to, to say in hindsight I think I would have possibly made a, a couple of changes a little bit earlier in that second half Jurgen Klopp doesn't seem to to want to make too many subs at the moment I know he's not got a lot of options, but there was a couple of players there. I think someone like Zerdan Shakiri, for example, we saw that, I think, against West Ham, wasn't it, earlier in the season where he comes off the bench, just creates something and, and gives Liverpool a, an extra little option in that forward area. And I think that was a game, really, where you thought Liverpool just needed somebody who could help with that extra pass. And it obviously wasn't working with the combinations that they had. They could have got over the line. They could have been fortunate and, and got through with that 1-0. But I think, possibly in hindsight, it was... Uh, a little bit of an error not to make a couple of changes to just change the course of the game a little bit before what Jurgen Klopp did. Yeah, Doyley, on the uh, player welfare situation, Jurgen Klopp's obviously been beating that drum for well over a year now. Liverpool had eight days to prepare for this game going into it, obviously off the back of those wins against Crystal Palace and Tottenham as well. And is it one of those really where for this Liverpool team, it is all about that momentum building and actually going straight into games and actually we saw that second half maybe a bit lacklustre that the break doesn't really do them any favours. The winter break last year, seemingly, obviously, the, the Watford defeat, the Atletico Madrid away defeat as well as losing to Chelsea in the FA Cup. It, it doesn't really sort of seem to play into Liverpool's hands, albeit Jurgen Klopp wants more done for player welfare. Well, that would make sense if they were poor in the first half, but they were really good in the first half. So I don't think they can complain too much about momentum. I mean, play welfare, obviously, you know, we've said Matip's now injured. And, you know, going back to what Matt was saying about changes from the bench, well, he could obviously couldn't bring on Cates because he wasn't there and Thiago wasn't there. Shakiri hasn't played for seven weeks. And I think he was probably wary of sticking on a player who's, you know, I would imagine if there were seven subs, I don't think Shakiri would have been on the bench. Let's put it that way. I think he was there not to make up the numbers, but, you know, it was like a little reward for him, a sign that he's actually coming back to full fitness. But I wasn't surprised to see him not play, especially with, you saw West Brom at the end, they were kind of 
you know, they were they they were the stronger team in terms of what they were actually attempting to do in the last fifteen minutes. Because I was actually surprised because I thought, I suppose that in their attacking players they hadn't really had much to do at the West Brom. So they and they brought on a couple of substitutes. So they were quite fresh defensively. I mean, Liverpool still had the chance to win it, didn't they, with Firmino's header late on? But uh, go back to the, you know the, the point guy you made about Liverpool and the poor form. I remember after the international break, the last one. Somebody on Twitter asked me, you know, what would be a good return for Liverpool between now and January, looking at the transfer window, and it was eight games. And I said, 16 points from 24 would be great. It says, and that would probably keep them within at least four or five points of the team leading the league. And if they get a draw again at, at uh, Newcastle on uh, on Wednesday, that would be 16 points. And what happens, they'd still be top. So it is like, you know, it's not just Liverpool who've been struggling. You know, as we mentioned, City drew with West Brom. You know, you, you know, United have, you know, United are probably the one team that's actually found a little bit of form, but they've been scraping three games and they, and they didn't win at Leicester. And that's a Leicester team who've lost at home to an awful lot of teams this season. They're better away from home. So, you know, we've seen what Tottenham conceded a late equaliser at Wolves. So it's not just Liverpool, it's everybody. And I'm not surprised by Liverpool's form. What I'm surprised about really is the fact that they're still top. Because it just underlined that, you know, everybody else you've seen, you know, Chelsea lost to Arsenal. I mean, how bad's that? So, yeah, you know, they, weren't, they weren't just beaten, they were absolutely annihilated. Arsenal scored so, three uh, goals in one game. Yeah, yeah exactly. I know. Yeah. Crikey. Yeah. 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 What was it? A penalty, a free kick, and a, and a fluke, really, wasn't it? Let's be honest. He saw, didn't really saw the keeper that, off his he? line, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> but, uh, but no, I think, and the other thing as well is we still only had 15 games. I mean, most seasons this would be like 19 or 20, and then the table would start taking shape. So I wouldn't be alarmed to see, or, you know, everyone's saying, like, oh, look, it's such a close league. I mean, I can advise everybody now, if you really want to, after this podcast, if you're really bored, go and have a look at the table at de- around December 2013. And I'm sure Chelsea, Arsenal, Everton, Liverpool, Man City, all of them are at the top, right near the top. Of course, by the end of the season, it was just City and Liverpool going for the league. And yet you looked at the table, I think Chelsea only finished two points behind Liverpool that season. So it's not new that the teams are all close, but it's just because of the last couple of you know, three years we've seen one year City ran away with it, one year Liverpool ran away with it, and the other year both City and Liverpool. So it's a bit of a surprise for some people, but this is actually what a normal title chat, title race is like with teams dropping points. I mean, I'd looked before, when Liverpool won the league in 1990, of the 38 games, they, they didn't win 15 of them. They won 26 of them. You know, so Liverpool have played, what was it, 15, and they've not won six. So they're kind of on track for a season like that. And, you know, well, if they, if they carry on like this, they're only going to lose something like four games. So that wouldn't be too bad. And, and as I've said quite a few times on this podcast uh, this season, whoever wins the league will be losing five or six games. I mean, look look at the rest of the teams. How many have Chelsea lost this season? United. You know, Everton are second. I think they've lost, is it four? Four or five? You know, the, thing with, the thing with Everton and Leicester is that they don't draw. So that's the one problem Liverpool have had is they've drawn too many games, which the area there being, it's not been down to the defence. You know, it's been down to the attack, which is still the scored the most goals this season than, than anyone else in the Premier League. Which brings us back to the midfield question. They haven't had that creative midfielder for, for so long in the, this season. You know, while Curtis Jones coming for a little bit of criticism for the mistake that he made that led to the corner, you know, Liverpool still could have defended it. Curtis Jones didn't have his best game in the second half, but that's somebody who the last two or three games has been Liverpool's best player. And, you know, and, and he's created a lot of opportunities and goals have come from his his runs or free kicks for goals or, or, or things like that. So 
you know, at once, you know, you look at Thiago coming back, Oxlade Chamberlain. I thought it was interesting. He came on. I thought he did okay when he came on, and he added a little bit of thrust to the to the you know the midfield. And you know, arguably, possibly should have been on earlier for Curtis Jones, and then you know the goal wouldn't have happened. But you know, it's easy to say that in hindsight. But uh, Liverpool will be a different proposition when they suddenly they'll have a load of midfielders to pick from now, and it'll be interesting to see players against Newcastle. Yeah, certainly. We'll we'll get on to that in a bit. And as you say, yeah, Leicester's a draw at the weekend. They're their first draw of the season, actually. And Everton, as, as well, have only drawn a couple of games. But, Sean, I suppose it's one of those where if you, if you do overreact then about dropping points to West Brom, had maybe the drop points at home come against Tottenham and then a win against West Brom, we prob- probably wouldn't be sort of having an inquest such as we are. And I, I suppose it sort of shows that dominance that it is the first home dropped points of the season in the Premier League for Liverpool that they've had all, all through this season. The last ones came against Burnley. Does that maybe suggest what we've sort of said? It's it's a clash of styles. You can't really counter-press a long ball team, can you? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I think it's um, it's not just that, is it? It's, 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 there's no losses at home now, I think, in the league for three calendar years. I think that makes it, you know, um, obviously the last game of the, of the year in December is, is away to Newcastle. So, yeah, I mean, if there's a worrying pattern, I think if one of the guys mentioned it before, you know, the, the draws that have happened this season, a couple of them have been against stragglers, you know, Fulham, Brighton, and then this game. I think they're all a little bit different. I don't think you can necessarily draw a, a trend or pick one thing out between those three games that's been problematic, particularly because, like Doyley said, you know Liverpool started this game really well. Um, that wasn't the case of Fulham. Brighton was a different one as well. There were you know VAR, VAR questions around that. Um, it wasn't a great performance by any means, but a different type of game. So yeah, I, I don't think I don't think it's a long term worry. And, and I agree with what Doyley said as well. You know, if, if you look at the start to the season as a whole, and certainly December as a whole, if Liverpool can react to this and get a result against Newcastle, I think this game will be fairly quickly forgotten. You know, and going back to what we were saying before, if if there were four or five teams in the league who, who you would expect to come to Anfield and play like this, like Allardyce does and sets up, then maybe it would be a little bit more of a concern because you know you'd, you'd then start to worry how well Liverpool would would fare in those games. But I don't really think there are so it does feel like potentially a one-off. Um, and then the other thing is is reaction. You know, in terms of what we've seen so far, when you look at those disappointing results, you know, after Fulham, that, that really wasn't great. But then Spurs came on the back of it. Palace came on the back of that. You know, even Brighton, I think Liverpool beat Ajax and then Wolves after that straight away. So they're already in the habit of putting right their wrongs quite quickly this season, which is good to see. You know, the, the hunger's there and the, and the desire to get over results quickly. Even when you think back to the worst result of the season, the, the heavy defeat away to Villa. I think what, what Liverpool did in the few weeks after that really kind of forms the bedrock of of where they are now. You know, obviously without Van Dijk and really up against it, dealing with a, an injury crisis, possibly worse than Klopp's had to deal with, certainly in terms of, you know, a major star being out in the shape of Van Dijk. They dealt with that. And, and look at them now, you know, top of the league, through in the Champions League, it, it is a massive platform to go on and, and I would say compete on two fronts, you know, looking into the new year. But obviously we'll come on to transfers and I certainly would also say that a centre-back is going to be absolutely necessary to, to ensure that's possible. Yeah, certainly. So uh, before we move on to, to talking, we'll have a, 
a brief chat about Curtis Jones and then look at the transfers. But Matt, are you happy to sort of put this da- this one down as a one-off, as Sean suggests, when you look at the next three home games that Liverpool have, Manchester United, Burnley and Brighton. Obviously, Burnley and Brighton, two battlers, but Manchester United very much a counter-attacking side as well. And when you consider the last two sort of games where Liverpool have dropped points at home in the Premier League have been to, to Burnley and now West Bromwich Albion, is that maybe cause for concern with a trend going to set in? Or, as I say, is this just going to be a one-off? I honestly think it will be a one-off. I think we saw the first 20 minutes of that game. It's easy to forget that Liverpool did actually create a few opportunities if they have if they just had players in, inside the penalty area, just in slightly different positions. We could be talking about this game as a very, very different one that Liverpool had you know, wrapped up within that first half. They could have easily been a couple of goals to the good, at least in that first half. So... I don't really have too many concerns. I think, obviously, when you add in the fact that there'll be a couple of players, not least Thiago, hopefully, over the next few weeks, getting back into to full fitness and, and getting his rhythm back. I think you know, the, there's not real concerns to, to be had from this match. I think there was just a combination of a few things. Curtis Jones, you, you mentioned him there. It, it wasn't his best game. We know that. But he's, you know, a 19-year-old. You have to sort of accept that there's going to be a couple of matches here and there that he's not going to be at his absolute best. And and that's absolutely fine. On another day, you know, you might not have even been talking about him because Liverpool might have won. Jordan Henderson might have played a bit better. Mohamed Salah might have scored one of those half chances. It's just one of those things on on the day. Liverpool didn't quite get over the line, but I think it, it could quite easily have gone a, a different way. So it, it's not really... For me, the, the start of a pattern, I just think it's a frustrating result that you've got to, to put behind you. And I think Liverpool will do that. As Sean says, they've bounced back you know, plenty of times this season. I think we'll see a, a big reaction against Newcastle. And to be honest, I think the way that, that Newcastle play, it, it's almost the perfect game to, to dispel that myth before it becomes one, if, if you know what I mean. So in terms of the pattern of, of coming up against difficult defences, I think Newcastle are Maybe not quite as defensive, particularly given that Newcastle are going to be at home. But I think they're going to set up broadly the same way that the West Brom do. They'll have a, a bit more of a, a threat on the counter-attack and they'll try and, and get forward a, a little bit more. But it is going to be another of those low blocks for Liverpool to, to try and break down. So, yeah, I think uh, if Liverpool win you know, on Wednesday, that will sort of put an end to that before it even begins, which I think would be a big thing to sort of dictate the narrative going into the new year. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Doily then, two for, to, to come to you with. First on, on Curtis Jones, and he came in for a bit of criticism. I suppose you've got to expect that a 19-year-old isn't going to be consistently brilliant all of the time. And the other one, of course, the big talking point out of the game, another injury for <laughs> Joel Matip. Yeah, I'm talking about Curtis Jones. You got to remember, it was only his seventh Premier League start, so we'd hard to get, you know, some of the criticism he was getting online from our social media Liverpool supporting friends. Um, and obviously, we get criticised for supporting a player, particularly as he's a, a homegrown talent. You know, how dare we do that? You know, so uh, it's interesting, really, isn't it? Because you know, as, as Matt said, you know, there were other players weren't playing particularly well. I mean, I thought Trent Alexander-Arnold was a bit iffy, and that's not the first time recently. He, he tends to be veering from very, you know, decent to very good to quite poor. I mean, he did all of that in one game at Crystal Palace. I, mean, I remember right, I, I did something at the time where in the first half, it was all over the place against Zaha and, and Eze. But then I watched the highlights when I got home, and it's like he, he was involved in about five of the seven goals. So that, that was the, you know, that, that's the kind of player that, that Trent is. But 
you know, I said, I'm not going to be blaming Curtis Jones for the Curtis Jones for the way that the game went. Uh, you learn from that anyway. You know, he, he's got the arrogance hasn't he, in his in his game, and that's why he's managed to progress so quickly. Yet, you know, there's a time and a place to be doing what he was doing on the edge of the area. He should have just you know just got rid of it or played a simple pass. And unfortunately, he's been caught out, and he'll he'll, he'll learn from that. But it's hardly you know something to say like, oh, we shouldn't be in the team. He's not good enough. Let's go and buy a 19 year old from somewhere else. You know, it, it, that that's not how football works I'm afraid um, however Liverpool as Sean said earlier um, I think Liverpool might have to move for a centre-back depending on in fact it doesn't even matter what you know the extent of Joel Matip's injury it just underlines that he keeps on getting injured you know I, Klopp I did an interview with LFC TV after the game where he said yeah we've actually been helping through his ankle thing which was making him limp which is why he got his back problem at Fulham and we've helped him through that and now it looks as though it's gone to his what was it as his abductor so he's obviously got some kind of issue that they're trying to help him through. And problem Liverpool have got, we you know, with the with the transfer thing is that they obviously would want to buy a centre back. I this is just me guessing, just the fact that they have only got, you know, they haven't replaced Dayan Lovren and Fabinho while he's been excellent at centre back, he's better in midfield. Just, you know, he's the best defensive midfielder probably in the world. So why would you not want to play in there? So Liverpool perhaps need another senior centre back and they might be looking at bringing one in. In the summer, partly because of you know Joel Matip's injury record and the fact he'll be entering it. I'm not sure whether it's the last year of his contract or two years. I, I don't know that off the top of my head, but certainly it's he's getting towards the end of his deal. And whether they try and bring that forward to January, so it, I reckon it may be something like that. Whether Liverpool can you know get a, a move that they pro, 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 sorry possibly got lined up in the in the summer, whether they can bring it forward to January. Otherwise, I can't see why they would bring somebody in. So it's going to be a big call for them, really, because, you know, as we've said, they've given themselves this platform to get that, you know, to be top of the table and get through the Champions League knockout stages. So if you've done all the hard work, and I can't imagine the rest of the season will be as hard as it has been for these last few months, why would you not give your players the best possible chance of actually going on and, and winning some more trophies? Yeah, I think I think Matt have actually signed a long term contract last year, didn't he? I think he's Did got. He? Yeah, oh, well, I think yeah. he's got. I must have been off that day. I must yeah. have been off that day. No, I think yeah. he's got three or four years left to to run on his <laughs> on his contract. Twenty twenty four is. Yeah, twenty twenty four. Right. Yeah. yeah. No, there we go. So uh, I don't ignore anything that I just said. It still counts. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Sean, though, looking at it and that sort of need for a a centre half, I suppose it is really. I, I don't know, maybe jumping sort of too far here to say, does the title sort of ride and depend on whether or not Liverpool do go for a centre-back in January? I, I think it's really it's really difficult. I think whether you can say the title does, uh, I, I don't know. But I, I certainly think the ability to compete on multiple fronts, which obviously they'll they'll want to do. You know, they're, they're through in the Champions League, they're top of the league, the FA Cup still to come. I think when you look at it in the round like that, then... That is definitely the case, but um, I, I just think it's it's really it, it's a really difficult situation. You know, when when Klopp is asked about this, I, I kind of understand his perspective. You know, he points to the form of the younger lads who've come in. Um, you know, both of them, Williams and, and Phillips, have, have done the job when called upon. Um, you know, Fabinho's an option and obviously doing well. And he's talked about the midfielders who can step in. And it's always that thing, isn't it? Of if you bring in a big name which is very, very difficult to do in January anyway. Certainly, some of the players who've been linked, I just don't think you'd have, you'd have a chance of getting them. You know, when their teams are involved in title races, European competition, or in some cases, you know, like let's say Ben White, for an example, 
he's never going to be let go now at, at a crucial juncture of the season. Um, so there's there's that to factor in as well. So I think my perspective on it would be they absolutely do need the centre back, but I could understand the difficulty around the calibre, price, and kind of you know the the the, the nature of which type of signing you go for almost because there's also the injury situation to consider with um, Van Dijk and Gomez being very long term absentees. I guess there's the slight concern about what type of players they'll be when when they recover from these injuries, whether they'll be able to come straight back in at the at the level that they were at. But perhaps if you did sign a player who was quite an accomplished one and someone who would be genuinely vying for first team um, you know, duties when those two guys were back, then that's an interesting one as well. But I think of all the names who've been linked, I, the difficulty is I've probably yet to hear one who feels and sounds realistic in terms of being able to get them in January um, or in some instances being able to come in and do a job straight away because that's another thing, isn't it? You know, you'd have to come in at the business end of the season and be able to perform better than, you know, a few guys who've been doing it for the last few months and, and doing quite well and, and others who obviously they're not playing at the minute because they're injured, but they know the system inside out and they're very dependable, very reliable. So from that perspective, you know, maybe someone who is playing out of position like Fabinho or if, you know, Henderson or someone had to do it for a run of games, might that actually be better because at least they'd know the system. So, yeah, I, I, I totally understand Klopp's dilemma on this one but I would like to think that him and Edwards will exhaust all possibilities and do everything they can to try and get someone through the door because I think the point that Doyle made uh, my, sorry my internet's been terrible I'm not sure if he made it on this podcast but he certainly made it in writing after the game last night was part of the of the issue is, is Fabinho's workload as well you know and I think everyone wants to see him back in midfield I think he himself wants to be back in midfield as soon as he can be but a lot has been asked of him, you know, having to do what he's doing at centre-back out of position for vast swathes of the season, it's looked like. So I think that's something that we'll have to think about and consider as well. So yeah, all in all, if they can do it, then they must do it. But it is a tricky situation. Yeah, certainly is the case. And, and Matt, I suppose that is really the thing. Do Liverpool wait to go big in, in the summer transfer window and maybe miss out on the Premier League title or even not go deep into the Champions League like they'd like to? Or do they look to bring someone in at least short term to help carry the load? Yeah, it all depends, doesn't it, on who is their top target. If they've got somebody that they think they, they can get next summer but they can't get in January, I think there's a good chance that they would wait. I think we've seen that plenty of times in the past. They'd rather get the right one rather than you know bring it forward and, and bring in somebody else as almost like a, a short-term option. But then you do have to weigh that up, as you say, against the possibility of that costing them dearly, be it in the Premier League, the Champions League, or even the FA Cup. It, it's not you know, a, a massive competition for Liverpool this season, but you know they can go a little bit further in that. I think they do have, certainly in other areas of the squad, enough squad depth to be able to, to sort of do that. So, yeah, it would seem a little bit of a missed opportunity, but I think the other thing you, you've got to weigh up as well is, I think Theo Squires, our colleague, wrote a piece a couple of weeks ago to say that Liverpool only have one foreign uh, player uh, left on their squad list. So if Virgil van Dijk is back before the end of the season, he will take that slot. So therefore, you know, signing a centre-back, unless it's an English player, which we know comes with a premium, not least in January, unless it was an English player that you brought in at centre-back, you're then dependent on moving somebody else on. So look, you could see Divock Origi potentially being one who could be moved on, but it's then that domino effect, isn't it? You've then got to sort out that sale first before you can then do something else. And it's just not quite as, as straightforward as simply 
identifying someone, paying a premium and, and getting them in and just playing them. So it's one of those, you, you've got to balance up a, a number of different things across the squad. As Sean says, I think if Liverpool are in a position where they can do it with the squad, they can do it with the finances and the right person is available at the right price, I think they will do that. But for all three of those things to happen in January, I think it's, it's probably unlikely, I suppose. What Jurgen Klopp and, and Liverpool will say is, well, it's it's not a gamble because we've got to this point in the season, we're top of the Premier League, we're through in the Champions League. We've shown that you know once these players come back, the squad will look a lot healthier. But I do think that would be a little bit of a risk. But at the same time, it's not quite as, as simple as maybe from the outside. You might look in and think, oh, just go and spend 30, 40 million on a player. It's just not quite that simple. Is it not, Doily, though, maybe not beyond comprehension that Nat Phillips even wants to to move on again? We know he was close to leaving in the summer. He has only played the, the two games against West Ham and Brighton, albeit he's been on the bench a number of times. But could he not sort of be looking at, what is he, 23, saying actually... I came close to going in the summer. I'm not actually playing that often, albeit I'm being used on the bench. And then that that leaves Liverpool with even more of a shortage at centre-half. Well, there's no way they'd let him go if he felt there was going to be a shortage. As simple as that. I mean, again, with, with, with Nat Phillips, I would imagine if he does leave, it won't be right until right the end of January because Liverpool will have, a, well, hopefully have two FA Cup games before then, which he's bound to play in. And there could be, you know, you, you never know. If, if Matip is out for a while and Liverpool can't bring centre-back in, He's going to have to play some games, isn't he? The Premier League is already, you know, he, he did okay in the two games that he played. Liverpool, okay, he wasn't responsible for the draw at Brighton. And he, he was man of the match against West Ham. So, you know, there are games where, actually, fully enough, I actually think he would have been okay playing in the game against West Brom uh, yesterday. I think the only thing is that I think West uh, Brighton picked out on the fact that, you know, compared to some of the, his other fellow centre-backs, he's not the best in terms of on the ball. But, Against West Ham, Jurgen Klopp made the point he's a player who knows his, what he's good at, what he's not good at. And if he sticks to what he's good at, then he's, he's very effective, which is what he was. So it, it, he'll get a move somewhere if he wants it. But I can't imagine Liverpool will look to, to move or he'll want to agitate for a move until the very end of January, depending on what happens with what Liverpool do in the transfer market. And, you know, as been pointed out, Liverpool will probably have to move you know, Origi is the obvious example out to, to leave a space if they are going to bring a, 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 an overseas player in. But it's whether they can afford it as well. Don't forget Liverpool, you know, Liverpool have had 6,000 fans in this season in Anfield. You know, we don't want to you know, be a skirmish or anything, but there's every chance that in the next week or so there'll be none allowed in for the foreseeable future again. So, you know, any advantage Liverpool got from that, whether it's financially or just from terms of the atmosphere, that'll be gone as well. So, you know, it's it's going to be an interesting one, but ultimately, how close is Van Dijk to coming back? You know, we we saw him training out in Dubai the other week. I think we were all taken aback at the amount of work that he was doing. But it's interesting. You compare that to Joe Gomez, who we've not seen sight nor sound of at Burley since he since he got his injury, which I suspect may not be a particularly great sign. I would be amazed if we see him again this season. But the way that Van Dijk's going, if if he can come back between now and the end of the season, maybe Liverpool think he could be. You know, what's the point of get, getting somebody and spending the money when this person might not be needed at the end of the season? So it is the risk, but they have, all, as Matt said, they have all the information we don't. Um, so they'll know exactly what they have to do. You know, we've already had, you know, we've already been told not to expect Liverpool to sign anybody in the next in the next month, but it could all change. If, you know, if, if Matip is out for a certain amount of time, Liverpool will literally be left with a centre-backs, uh, somebody who's 
you know, two youngsters who've played four Premier League games between them and a central midfielder. So for any team that's trying to win the Premier League or the Champions League, you're going to struggle there. Yeah, not not very helpful indeed. Uh, so that that's Matip, his injury woes, and maybe Liverpool looking to do something in January, Sean. But we've got another injury issue for for Nappy Keita. We best address before we get onto our team selections as well. Not not good news on him. No, another fitness issue, as as it was kind of described by by club sources yesterday. Yeah, just. It's just so fortunate, isn't it? You know, literally every single time he comes back and looks good, completes a 90 like he just did against Palace and and then and then straight away there's something there that, that rules him out. Um, and I think, it, you know, it, it was doubly disappointed, not just for him, but I think for Liverpool yesterday because he would have been, I would say, almost an ideal player to try and just, you know, break the lines a little bit, find some gaps in that stubborn defence. Um, but it's just it's just so difficult for him, and I think for Jurgen Klopp, I mean, you know, I wouldn't want to say anything too alarmist about his, his future now, but I, I do think, you know, you look at Klopp's squad, you look at the likes of Wijnaldum, you look at all the forward players, and one of their greatest assets, as well as being excellent players, which of course Cater is, you know, technically I think he's, he's very, very good, but they've got availability in, in, in abundance, you know, it's very, very rare that they're out, even with little niggles, you know, I can't really remember many spells where Firmino, Salah, maybe Mane's had a, had a couple where, where he's been out. Um, Wayne Aldham as well just seems absolutely indestructible. So, you know, it, it, it's so hard then to, to force your way into kind of long-term thinking. Um, and I think managers and staff have got to be quite hard-faced about that type of thing, you know. It's back to the old kind of Shankly thing, isn't it? If, if players are injured, they kind of, they can't really come into your thinking because you can't use them. You certainly can't plan to use them. Uh, but, but in his case, it's so unfortunate, you know, a, a signing that came with huge expectations. Fans were forced to wait that year extra for him. He's just never really been able to get going and, and that's still the case. But um, yeah, hopefully, you know, you find yourself saying the same thing, but hopefully when he does come back, there's, there's a run of games for him. Um, but, you know, how many times are we going to end up saying that? Yeah, you do just wonder indeed on Naby Keita. Let's get then into our, our team selections for Newcastle United. Uh, Matt, I'll come to you first. You can lead us on the, the goalkeeper and the back four. Yeah, I think the, the goalkeeper speaks for himself. I think the, the back four pretty much does as well with plenty of injuries as we've discussed. So Trent and Robertson would be the fullbacks. Centre-backs, I think obviously you've got Fabinho and then it's a, a straight choice between Reese williams or... Uh, Nat Phillips. So for me, I think Williams obviously was the one who was picked against West Brom. He came off the bench. That to me suggests that it may well be him again on Wednesday night. And I think that's probably the right choice. I think certainly Callum Wilson, I think, will be back, won't he? I think there's a couple of, of players, Miguel Almiron as well. I don't know whether he's injured at the moment or not, but you know, the, there's one or two tricky players, certainly you know, with a, a lot of pace on the counter-attack. And I think I would fancy Reese Williams over Phillips just for, for this one for that reason. Yeah, we did see that though, didn't we? Doyle at Anfield with Carlin Grant running away from Reese Williams. I suppose neither Williams nor Phillips really sort of blessed with pace and Newcastle have rested uh, Callum Wilson ahead of this game. Would you go with the same back four though? I'm not entirely sure he ran away from him. I just think he was kind of like caught slightly flat-footed. I think it was a good ball through to him, wasn't it? So, um I was tempted to put Nico Williams at right back, to be honest, because of the aforementioned Trent issues. But if you've already got another youngster in the in the defensive line, then that would probably wouldn't be a clever idea. 
So I'd probably go with the same back four and uh, and Adrian in goal. <laughs> no, not really. Um, it's interesting on a serious point. They had the nine substitutes, and the last couple of games they've had two goalkeepers. Liverpool they named uh, Kelleher and Adrian, and because they had sufficient players, Adrian didn't make the bench uh, against West Brom. So I think that's the final confirmation not that we actually needed it. I suspect that Kelleher is now quite clearly the number two goalkeeper. Yeah, interesting. Shawnee, are you with the same defence as well as Matt? Yeah, exactly the same. I think if it was a home game, you, you could potentially make more of an argument for Phillips. But yeah, Williams has had more game time, hasn't he? And that, that was an unfortunate incident, wasn't it, with Grant? He, he just got the run on him a little bit. But yeah, I think he's 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 more a part of that back line, isn't he? And more accustomed to it. So I'd, I'd, I'd go with him. What about he's played, he's played alongside Fabinho a couple of times now, hasn't he? So I think that there's a slight relationship there between the pair of them and that'll help. Yeah, good point. Uh, Sean, what about the midfield? Very difficult. I mean, Henderson's an absolute gimme, isn't he? I I think when we saw the pitches a couple of weeks ago of Oxlade-Chamberlain coming back, I really fancied him to make an impact over this period. I think he's the kind of player you just wouldn't want to see on the opposition team sheet when you've just played the game, you know, 48 hours or two or three days before. And, you know, it's difficult really to judge given he just got that small cameo against West Brom. A couple of shots are quite wayward where they bought, you know... You kind of know what you're getting from him. He's a very active player, very industrious and takes a risk with a shot, likes to get forward. So I'd, I'd give him a go. I'd, I'd go Oxley chamberlain Henderson and Curtis Jones as well, I think. I'd, I think more than, apart from, sorry, Robertson, Wijnaldum's played the most minutes, certainly in the league, of everyone so far this season. So perhaps he's due a rest. So yeah, slightly unorthodox midfield there, but I, I'd like to see Jones just play again straight away almost because, you know, I, I totally agree with what the guys were saying before. He, Got some odd criticism for his performance yesterday. You know, okay, maybe maybe conceding the corner was partly down to him, but defending it was it was a whole different matter. You know, um, so yeah, I'd like to see him stay in the team and you know try and get back to his best and and send a little message out there. Yeah, definitely, Doyle. Come back to you on the the midfield. Would you give Genie a rest going back to his his former employers? Yeah, I don't know. Well, I think Henderson will play, and I think Oxley Chamberlain will play. I think that's right. I think both of them will play. I think, as I said before, Oxley Chamberlain he, he gives them something a little bit different. It's the, this other midfield role. I don't think Curtis Jones will play. I actually think it'll be between Juan Alder and Thiago, and that's not that's just me having a guess, shall we say? Um, but I do have a, I do have a I'm almost leaning towards Thiago, but I'm going to go with Juan Alder. Yeah, I did see you getting no, pulled no, out. I've changed, I've, changed, I've changed my mind, actually. Yeah, I've changed my mind. No, I'm going to put Tiago. He can start. Yeah, I was going to say, I saw you getting called out on uh, on Twitter, actually, for saying that Tiago would start. So, uh... Yeah, it's almost like that's in our team predictor thing, you know. So I'm saying it again now. So, you know, funny enough, I'm not Jurgen Klopp and I'm not in charge of Liverpool Football Club. Oh, what? Who knew? Who knew? <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> thought, we had, thought we had an exclusive there. Anyway, Matt, what about your midfield? <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to go a little bit different. I don't think Oxley chamberlain did quite enough coming off the bench. He looked a little bit rusty, so I think... He, only under eight um, minutes. Only under eight minutes. I know. He gave the ball away a lot, though, in that eight minutes, and I think I wouldn't start him for that reason. I think you bring him off the bench, you try and ease him back in, but I wouldn't start him. So I'm going to go with Henderson and Wijnaldum. I'm not going to play Curtis Jones. I'm going to actually bring in James Milner, who I know, again, has come off the back of an injury, but obviously not as big an injury as Oxley chamberlain So... Yeah, I will uh, we'll go the two usual ones plus plus Milner rather than Jones. 
Very industrious. I forgot about Milner. Could he go go right back? Ooh, Ooh. it's interesting. Ooh, it's interesting. (laughs) Um, No, no, no. But I wouldn't be surprised if Milner plays haven't haven't considered that. Right, fair enough. What about what about the front three? No, no room for him on the uh, the left hand side. No, once upon a time. No, it's it's not. Yeah, it's not twenty fourteen. I don't know. You know, I think Minamino's going to play. I think he probably did, he did well. I was at the game at Newcastle that last game of last season, wasn't it, where he played well off the left flank. But if that's happening, then Mane's going to have to go to the right or down the centre. So which one of because I don't think Mane will get dropped. Sorry, rested. Uh, and then so you're left with what Firmino or uh, Salah. Um, probably Firmino's turn to to have a rest, even though he's been playing quite well. So I'll put. Um, yeah, I'll go Minamino, Minamino on the left, Mane down the middle and Salah on the right. Or you could go 4-2-3-1. No, no, we won't go there. Sean, what about you? <laughs> I, I think if Liverpool had beaten West Brom or the interval to the games was shorter or, or indeed both of those things, then I think changes would have been potentially made. And yeah, I agree with Dory. I think Minamino would be the, the kind of first change. Shakiri as well, although there's also the argument of him having not had any game time at all, so we don't want to start being risky. Um, so yeah, I think I think I'll leave it with the usual suspects, but Minamino is is potentially in contention. And Matt, what about yourself? Yeah, it's a difficult one, isn't it? I think I'm going to go with the usual three, but it wouldn't massively surprise me if they went four two three one and it was Minamino as a, a number ten rather than Milner as the third midfielder. But yeah, I'm going to go with the the four three three with the usual three. Fair enough. And match predictions, Matt, what's the score going to be? Uh, I think Liverpool will win. I think they'll play a lot better, uh, but I think it's going to be tight. I think it's going to be 1-0 to Liverpool. Doily? Oh, it's going to be another slog, isn't it? It's going to be another grim one. It's going to be freezing up there as well. Really looking forward to it. Um, I think it'll be I think it'll be 2-1 to Liverpool. 2-1 to Liverpool. And Sean, yourself? Well, hopefully my internet will allow this prediction to actually get out before the game, but 2-0 to Liverpool. 2-0 to Liverpool. Great stuff, great stuff. Well, that's it from us here on the Blood Red Podcast. Don't forget to keep across everything on the Liverpool Echo in the build-up to the game, the live match blog, and of course, plenty of reaction. We'll also have the debrief on the Blood Red channel on Wednesday evening, as well as both Jurgen Klopp and Steve Bruce's post-match press conferences. Do check out the uh, link to our Blood Red census. We want to give you the chance to shape the direction in which Blood Red is heading. The link to that is in the description for the podcast or on the YouTube video, wherever it is you are watching or listening in. But from myself, Guy Clark, Matt Addison, Ian Doyle and Sean Bradbury, thanks for joining us here on the Blood Red channel. It's bye for now. You've been listening to the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo.